Financial with Christopher Calandra, Certified Financial Planner, is an innovative, comprehensive, informative, and cutting-edge podcast that discusses financial topics ranging from personal finance, economics, politics, and personal growth. Simply Financial will cover intriguing and thought-provoking questions so that the listener can simply increase their financial IQ. Welcome to the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. We are on episode 10 of season 4. This, in fact, is part 2 Last week, uh, Lindy Brock and I talked about some of the things you should uh, consider and learn as a potential client when interviewing a financial advisor, financial planning firm. And we talked about the first of five, ten things on our list. And uh, to set the stage, I, I said the same thing last week. There's lots of information about there, about this out there. Most of it, though, is structured as questions, the nuts and bolts of what to ask. My conversation with Lindy is more about the softer end of this, what you're actually trying to learn and figure out to determine whether you are signing on with the right financial advisor and firm. So the first five things we talked about, uh, Lindy's here, by the way, hi, Hi. (laughs) is uh, likability, trust, teaching, shared values, And then the fifth thing was communication style. So today we're going to talk about the back half of that list, and they're in no particular order, but we're going to talk about worldview, the ideal client, the scope of the relationship, understanding the service model, and then lastly, compliance record. So to begin with worldview, so in the last episode, we talked a little bit about shared values, and this is kind of similar in my head, though, there's some important differences. So in terms of worldview, it kind of comes in a couple of different uh, sections in my head, if you will, on how I think about this. First off, worldview. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? I'm an optimist. You're an optimist. I would have to say I'm an optimist. I think most of the people on the team here at Elliott Wealth Management are optimists. And I think by and large, the people that we interact with tend to be optimists. Yeah. I think pessimists would, if, if somebody was sitting here meeting with us, interviewing with us, and they were pessimistic, I think there may be a disconnect then in our ability to uh, get on the same page. So that's an example of world view. I think another one is I was not in the service, I'm not a huge flag-waving kind of guy, but... I'm pro-America, and most of my discussions are going to be influenced on the idea that we live in a great country, there's tremendous opportunity in this country, and it's not so much a political thing because I have lots of people that are clients that think differently politically, Democrats, Republicans, independents, and everything in between, but that underlying thought that it's a great country, I think is a worldview that... Uh, We have, and if someone has a different worldview, uh, and some people do in this country, and that's fine, but we're probably not going to get on the same page. And then the last thing I'll say of the three thoughts I had on this, and uh, I've kept poor Lindy out of this, and I'm sure she's anxious to jump in, is I believe that you do control your own destiny, and that decisions you make can have an impact on your ability to build wealth and also in other areas outside of finance. And there are some people who believe these things are outside of their control. 
And it's not to say stuff happens, you know, you don't control everything, but I think you know, your attitude, your decision-making, that you do control a lot and that positive mental outlook, that optimism is also something that is going to come across when clients are meeting with us. It's going to come across. And if they have a different worldview when it comes to that, where they think it's just out of their control. I don't know if I'm going to be able to retire. I don't know if I could send my kids to school. Who knows? There's nothing I can do. You know, people that have that worldview, respectfully, I think they're wrong. But in the realm of this conversation, we're probably not going to get on the same page. So those are my couple of examples. It's kind of like accountability. Yeah. So they, they can take personal accountability for things that they've done and maybe mistakes that they've made and get over that and continue on sure so when if you're meeting with somebody and you're trying to figure out if it's the advisor and the team that you would want to sign on with and entrust with your investments and financial planning getting a sense of what their worldview is would probably be good information and you don't again have to agree with everything but there's some areas that you probably want to have some common ground so that you could get to the other stuff like the likability and the trust, shared values. Uh, so that's worldview. Uh, the next one is if I was meeting with a financial advisor and I was looking to hire somebody, I would want to know who their ideal client is. And you've read a lot about this in industry and trade publications, just yeah. like I have. There's a lot on that, but most of what I read and see is ideal client. What's their ideal client's net worth? What's their ideal client's income? What's their ideal client's age? And that stuff is good and that's important. What we're gonna talk a little bit about is, again, that softer edge. Who's the ideal client in terms of how they communicate, how they want to be treated, what do they want out of the relationship? Um, are they looking for a long-term business relationship? When we meet with clients and, and we bring them on, we will say we're looking to build a successful, fulfilling, long-term business relationship. Not all relationships get there, but our goal is to build one and try hard to make that happen. And not everybody wants that, and not everybody, not every advisor wants that and probably not every client wants that, but that's what we want. And if we're asked and we express that, that'll help a potential client get a feel for what we're looking for. What are some of your thoughts on ideal client topic when sizing up an advisor in an advisory firm? So just as we suggested to people listening that they look at likability trust, teaching, shared values, worldview, we're also looking for that in a potential client. We want, it's it's not a, a one-sided interview. Sure. So the client isn't just interviewing us, we're, we're interviewing them too, to see if they're a great fit for us. Because it has to be two-sided for a relationship to work over the long term. Absolutely. And some other examples of ideal clients, if someone is a day trader that wants to trade yeah. stocks or investments every day, philosophically, our approach to money management and building wealth and making smart financial decisions does not involve day trading. Correct. So that's not going to be a good match. And so if there's somebody that does want to day trade and is interested in that, there are advisors and firms 
that would accommodate that. There's yeah. not anything automatically wrong with that. I would like to have the debate on whether that's the best approach or not. But you certainly, if that's what you're looking for, would be able to find a match. It's probably right. not going to be with us. And in terms of that um, mutual interview kind of thing, it's it's not that we're trying to be elitist or discriminating or any, any, anything. We use here, and you could attest to this, Lindy, He's like, we don't want to have clients. When they call the phone, the whole team is going, oh, it's so-and-so. I don't want to pick up the phone. You pick up the phone. Or I go hide in my office and pretend like I'm not available. That's not good for the client. It's not good for us. That's soul-sucking. And nobody wins in that situation. So if you're meeting with an advisor, you find out what their ideal client is. The nuts and bolts is good. The size of the client relationship, you know, uh, the wealth are they younger or an older client set? And then Or they could also, have a specific niche of sure. clients that they work with, say small business owners, or they only work with IT consultants, or they work with you know high-earning professionals. There's a lot of different financial advisors have a specific set of clients mm-hmm. that they work with. Or, um, you know, you know, we've discussed this in the last episode. But they have certain life experiences that naturally drives them to a specific set of clients that they just naturally get along with and their life experience really allows them to be the best fit for the client. Well said. I think um, the last point I'll make on this subject is if you're meeting with a financial advisor and they say they don't have an ideal client, that they'll work with anybody, that tells you something important. Yes. And you would want to factor that in. I wouldn't go so far as to say that's an automatic no-go where you wouldn't want to work with somebody like that. But um, that would worry me if I was looking for a financial advisor. So that would be a pretty telling answer. So the saying goes, you're you're great at everything, but you're a master at none. Uh, Because you can't serve everyone. And if you're in business and you've been in business for a while, whether you're wildly successful or struggling, you should have a little bit of a sense of what you're looking for. Otherwise, how will you know if you found it? And you know, we've learned over time, we've had some client relationships that have not been good for either party. And that's not good for us, it's not good for them. And clients deserve to be matched up with advisors that do more closely fit into their ideal client footprint. And we deserve, Elliot Wealth, you and I, we deserve to have clients that fit closely into our ideal client makeup. So I think that's a great topic. The next thing, and and it, it builds on what we just talked about, is the scope of the relationship. And I don't think this is really discussed enough. No. And, and it, I think it's it's really pressed to us as financial planners when when you're going through all of your education you really have to define that scope of the relationship so the client knows what to expect and the advisor knows what to expect and what they agree to mutually work on beautiful so we would advise that if you were in the interview process that you would ask the advisor what's our relationship going to look like Uh, is it going to be investment only uh, are they the advisor going to be interested in the tax situation, the estate planning, 
Do they want to talk goals and objectives? Do they want to talk about uh, down the line preparing for retirement or the funding of college education? You know, what do they want to know? How holistic is the relationship going to be? We're pursuing holistic relationships with the, the notion that the more we know about the client, the better we could appreciate them, what's important to them, what they're fearful of, what they're trying to accomplish, what's important to them, things like that help us deliver good recommendations and good planning suggestions. And when we know more about their financial situation, their income, their assets, and things are not hidden from us, it's like a relationship with the doctor. The more we know, the better in a position we are to help them make smart financial decisions and avoid pitfalls. And we do want to manage money effectively in the investment world and build good, sturdy, constructed, well-constructed portfolios. But additionally, we want to overlay, as an example, good tax planning. We're not CPAs. Uh, we don't do tax returns, but we do spend a lot of time with our clients helping them map out and plan ways to mitigate their taxes. Not all firms do that. And some people, it's not important to them. Um, if you're in a low-income tax bracket or you are also so wealthy that you know you'll be in a high-income tax bracket, your views on these things may be different. Um, but that's what we're talking about in the scope of the relationship. I believe it also sets expectations for both the advisor and the client. So not only does the scope of the relationship handle what what the client expects so right. we we outlay okay these are the services that we're going to provide these this is what we're going to work on but it also outlines the expectations for us what we expect from a client which means we're going to need so much information to do what we agreed upon and we're going to need you to do your side of everything and get back to us when we call you for information or if we need to mutually work together to accomplish a specific goal that you hold up your side of the deal. Yes, we have some clients, not to badmouth our clients, but I've had instances over the course of my career where you call a client to review things, um, either as a general review or recommendation or to point out an issue, whatever the case is, you call them and they don't call you back and they don't respond to you. I do not want to be part of that relationship for a few reasons. Number one, I do have a responsibility, a regulatory responsibility to do certain things as a professional and I always want to meet that criteria. And one of those criteria is often to know your customer and to have contact with your customer. Yes. So then if I'm unable to do that, I could be putting myself in jeopardy. And then on the broader point is how can I do my job effectively if I can't get them to respond to me? That also is a hint that they don't value the relationship, right. that they think it might be a waste of time or unimportant, or even worse, they may not respect what I have to say. Exactly. And we probably should part ways. And when we take on a particular client, we will let them know, listen, we expect that we're going to meet X number of times a year. We let them know we're going to do a monthly mailing. We let them know we have various client events through the year and we tell them we're going to meet X number of times during the year. But if you need anything, 
something appears wrong on your statement or you read something in the newspaper or you have a particular thought about your investments or something changes in your life like you win motto, I usually joke, or you know, you have a job change or something like that, a life change, you have to let us know. We'll keep the lines of communication open to you, Mr. Client, but you, Mr. Client, also have to communicate with us. We want to hear about important things so that we could work together and make sure we're making the best decisions possible for the achievement of your financial goals. So that's important with the scope of relationship. I find it surprising, and maybe it's because... I've been in the business 27 years and been immersed in this kind of stuff, but I'm surprised that more people don't kind of ask about that kind of thing. Like, right. you know, what can you do for us? What areas do you go into? What areas you don't? And what do I need to do? Yeah. What's my role in this? Yeah. An example of don't, we have, uh, you know, we don't do property and casualty insurance as an example. You know, we have relationships, we can make introductions, but we don't do that. As I said, we don't prepare tax returns, although we do do tax planning. You know, those are some of the limitations. And and those are good things to discuss to set the expectations for both parties. And what I found, because we try really, really hard to serve our clients well, if we know what's expected of us and we agree, there's a very good chance we'll achieve it because there's no mystery. And if you're meeting with an advisor and they say, ah, you know, We'll meet when we need to meet, you know, when the situation calls for it. Personally, I think that would be worrisome. Yes. Because life happens. Most people are busy juggling different priorities, whether it's, you know, um, with a spouse or loved one, taking care of children, working, could be in retirement, just traveling, enjoying grandkids, whatever. You, you could have a lot of time go like that without checking in, and that leads to an increase in the likelihood that opportunities are missed, mistakes are made, and problems can arise. And we want to avoid that for our clients. So scope of relationship, super important. And that leads us to um, the next to last thing we're going to talk about, which is understand the service model. So if you're meeting with an advisor, I think through questioning, you would want to get a sense of how is your account, how is your financial planning investment need, needs going to be met. So years ago, Lindy, as you know, I was a one-man band. I did everything. I worked out of my house. I had a small uh, group of clients, great group of clients. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole different episode (laughs) of the podcast. Uh, And so, you know, I would tell clients and I would use it to my advantage. I would say, listen, you're going to deal with me. If If you have a question, if you need something, it's going to be me. And, you know, that had some appeal. As my business grew, though, and prospered, and I also wanted to do more for my clients, it became quite clear that I couldn't achieve my goals in terms of what I wanted to deliver to my clients without some help. Also, my desire to grow the business, to help more people, to have more revenue and profits meant that I was going to need help to grow. And so now today at Elliott Wealth Management, we use a team service model where you and I often meet with clients together. Sometimes it's me meeting with the client and another time it'll be you meeting with a client. And one client in a year could have, let's say, three meetings and one time could be you and I meeting with them. Another time it could be me meeting with them. And the third time it could be you meeting with them without me. Also, sometimes it's a remote meeting where we'll do a webinar type format 
Other times it'll be a conference call. It could be in the office. It could be at their home. So you want to have an idea of who's going to be working on your account and, and for what. We try and lay out to our clients that there's going to be lots of people that'll help through the process. We'll say that ultimately I'm responsible but I don't do it alone and my team is very competent and we know what we can do and what we can't do. So you're going to get um, touched, if you will, have interactions with lots of people on the team and that's worked out extremely well and the clients like that there are more than one uh, person that can help. We also have Buddy Hartman and Dave Lake who are part of the team that are CPAs that do more um, tax work than we do, but we can bring them in too. Clients seem to like that team service model. So if you're meeting with somebody, you'd want to ask them, who am I going to meet with? And give some examples. What if I have a question about my investments? Who would I go to? What if I have a question about my tax statement? Who do I go to? How often are we going to meet? How is that going to be take place? Will it be at my home, in your office? Will it take place remotely? you'd want to have an appreciation of that. And that sets us up, Linda, you know full well, that if um, somebody else calls the client that may not have met, calls to, let's say, schedule a meeting, they shouldn't be surprised. No. They shouldn't really even expect that it would automatically be me or you, that it's all kind of interchangeable, and we're going to strive really hard to meet their needs, and we have a system, a business plan in place where we can meet the needs of the client with each of us attending to our areas of expertise as much as possible. Exactly. I was just going to point that oh, out. Yeah? There's this, our particular service model, um, there, there's two different benefits that it gives us. The first one is that the clients get taken care of no matter what. They call the office and they talk to somebody. Um, now, sometimes we might all be on the phone, sure. but most likely calls get answered. And if they aren't, able to be directed to somebody that can answer their question right at that moment, somebody is able to, to call them back very soon. Um, and the second part of that is that since we have different members of our team handling different things, we all have our own areas of expertise. So Lindy and Chris, we're, we're pretty good at investment advice. Um, if you have questions about your um, performance and you know different ideas you may want to kick around about the investments you can talk to us we're great at that um, if you have questions on paperwork though that's not really our thing but we have Brittany for that and she's great at it and she's perfect so yes. call Brittany um, if you have questions on life insurance call Lindy if you have questions on I don't know what but mm -hmm. a client will call Paul for but he has his own specialized Sure, because he he's, he's operations. A lot of his work right. happens behind the scenes. But sometimes, if somebody's having technical trouble getting into a webinar, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll have them go to Paul because I'm not going to be able to help him much because I am very weak yes. in that area. So it's not to say our business model is the best. Some people really like that model, but I can also see other people would say, "I just want to deal with one person. Yes. I just want one person." Exactly. Now that plan has flaws. We met with a client this morning and her accountant is a one person operation and is an older individual and is has some, I think, life difficulties. But our client sometimes goes months without getting a response from her accountant. Yes. That's the disadvantage of the one person business model. It's great you always deal with that person, but if that person is not available for one reason or another, you're in a tremendous bind. We have overlap 
and we've grown to the point where we have overlap and that is good for the clients. It's also good for us because if I have a day off or if I have a day that I'm in um, training on say new tax legislation or something like that, I could focus on that knowing that my clients, our clients will be well taken care of and I could focus on what I'm doing instead of having on that day juggling all kinds of different priorities and then I don't get as much out of the training I'm in or I don't get to enjoy my leisure time as much as I would. So that's our service model. The key thing though is to find out up front how it's going to work, how often you're going to be seen, who's going to be seen, uh, and what the uh, division of duties it are. You don't have to get into every single example ever, but you definitely want to have a sense. I think we do a really good job in setting expectations that there's going to be lots of people that are part of the process to help, yes. and we're all responsible for satisfying your needs, and we're going to work really hard. And people are very pleased with it. And they, it's very rare today where somebody would call and say, I don't want to talk to you. I only deal with so-and-so. And I'd like to toot our own horn one more time Go ahead. on this. Um, but the part of our service model that me and you are always working together, um, the fact that clients can come to us and know that they have two different people at all times looking at their information coming together with ideas and just making sure their stuff is covered 100%, sure. I think is powerful for us. Again, it may not work for everybody and people might not like that. They might not like two people, and some people but it might works want, and really some, well for us. Yeah, and some people might want a, a larger team. You know, you could yeah. go to one of the major wirehouses, a Merrill Lynch or UBS, Morgan Stanley, and, you know, we have a small, great team a smallish team though you could go into some of those firms and you could be in a team with 18 22 people um, and that that might be what you want and or need uh, but you want to know up front when you're trying to figure out if you're with the right firm and with the right advisor or thinking about signing up with the right firm and the right advisor the last of the ten things is on the compliance side so we're in a very regulated industry, so having a discussion with the advisor about their compliance landscape. So how do they get paid? Who is the governing regulatory body? Is it the state? Is it the SEC? Is it FINRA, which is a, a government regulatory body? That's actually our primary government oversight organization. And find out about the compliance record. Um, these things are public. You could go to, uh, what's it, FINRA broker check. Mm-hmm. And you could look at my 27-year record. If a client made a complaint, you could see it there. If uh, I switch from one firm to another, which I've been in a few firms over the course of my career, you can see that. You could see what licenses the advisor has, what states they're approved to do business in, or I should say what states they're currently doing business in. So you want to have a discussion about that. Uh, I've been in business 27 years. I have a, a, a good compliance record. But... If people look me up, they'll see that back in 2012. I think it was 12, yeah. You know, I had a client complaint. This is kind of like when you're in school. If a client makes a complaint, it goes on your permanent record. Um, so I wouldn't say if somebody has a blemish on their record, that should be an automatic disqualification. But you should ask about it. But you should ask about it. So in my instance, a relatively new client made a complaint. I made a defense of myself to the regulatory agencies, um, long detailed, um, 
pushing back on their allegations. The organization, the regulatory agency looked into it, found the accusations without merit. They told the client, we find no merit, and then the matter was dropped. Now, it's on my record. I wish I could say I have no blemishes on my record. I do. Um, and I I think I was wronged, candidly. But it's a system that it, it is. But I would, I would suggest that you check out the broker check and you talk to the person. And if there are blemishes and you kind of feel like you like them and you feel like you could trust them and everything else is lining up to have a conversation about that. Um, and if you've been in business 27 years and I've interacted with lots of people, you'd think that somewhere along the line, something may have gone wrong, maybe not maliciously, but stuff does happen. We deal with markets and investments that are uncertain. So find out about how they're governed from a regulatory standpoint, because all advisors have strict regulations they adhere to, find out how that works and what their record is like. And the last thing I'll say on that before I get your quick thoughts is, you know, how do they work to be compliant? Not just the letter of the law, what the spirit is. And that ties into a little bit of the service model. You have to know your customer is one of the uh, key criteria we work under. So we have a system where we contact clients at regular intervals that's agreed upon as part of the relationship with the client. And by us doing that, it serves the client well, it serves us well, but it also serves the function of maintaining a very high level of compliance with not just the letter of the rules, but the spirit of the rules, where they want you to know your client, to check in with your client, and to be able to adjust to changes in your client's life or changes in the marketplace, the economy, investment offerings. And a good example of this is, you know, lots of investments have become less expensive over time. And you could have a client that you did 20 years ago, did an investment make perfect sense then. But if you haven't looked 20 years later, I know it's an extreme example, it may not be appropriate. There may be less expensive versions. It may be too risky relative to what the client's needs are today. You need to, you need to know that. So know who the governing body is that looks after the compliance. Check their compliance record and talk about any blemishes that might be on there. And then lastly, talk to them about how they maintain a very high level of compliance with the letter and the spirit of the rules and regulations. So I think I dominated that 10th point. Pretty much. There are a couple of points. Um, in, In the spirit of you talking about, you know, how they're the oversight and and how they they accomplish that. Um, I think a good question is who provides your oversight? Right. We we work with a broker-dealer, and so they provide a very high-level over... Rigorous. Rigorous oversight of us to make sure that we're following all the rules that we need to follow. So I think that's an important thing to understand with anybody that you work with is who actually provides that oversight if they do have oversight and um, you know how strict they are with their yeah. oversight. And then the second question, which I think is a, a pretty important question and it's gotten a lot of press in the recent years, but the simple question of are you a fiduciary? And that comes with certain licenses and it comes with certain oversight, regulatory oversight that you have. And being a fiduciary is really just, you are required to have the client's best interest in mind when you are making any kind of recommendation. So you put the client's interest ahead of your own. And 
I think that is the most important question for somebody to ask. That's good. Are you a fiduciary? Yes. And that doesn't we mean are. if somebody is. <laughs> yes, we are. And and I, I'm agnostic with this. I've met lots of people over the course of my career that are not fiduciaries, but they put the client's best interest at heart, even if they're not legally required to do so. Um, but it is an important an important topic, and I'm glad you added that. So we covered 10. Um, if you're looking for a financial advisor, you should keep these in mind. Of course, you could just come to us, and then it's nice and yeah, simple because we're, we're the best. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, if uh, you know of somebody or you are looking for an advisor, please consider us. You can go to ElliotWealth.com and sign up for a complimentary consultation where we could discuss all 10 of these things, our philosophy in working with clients, find out about you and your goals and objectives, and see if there might be a good match. And in terms of the podcast, we would like more listeners, like all podcasters would would like. Is that I said that good English? Yeah. Yes. So we would like more listeners. So if you haven't subscribed already, please do so. And I will be back, or we will be back. I'm not sure if we're going to do another episode or not before uh, we part ways. But I will be back with you on the next episode of the Simply Financial ep- uh, podcast very soon. I completely messed that up. <laughs> Paul, I'm going to have to do that again. Or you could just leave it in and let people laugh at it. It could be. So let me just do a good one in case, and we could okay. pick. So... We'll leave it there. If you are interested in learning more about Elliott Wealth and you're not a client, you could go to our website, find more information about Lindy, myself, and the rest of the team. You could also, and we would encourage this, sign up for a complimentary consultation where we could discuss these 10 items as well as your goals and objectives and how we might be able to work together. Additionally, we would like more listeners for the podcast. So if you're a listener, and you haven't subscribed, please do so. And even more than that, if you could introduce somebody to the podcast that you think would benefit from it, that would be wonderful. I will be back with you on the next episode of the Simply Financial Podcast very soon. Thanks for listening. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through Sage Point Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with Sage Point Financial. Simply Financial is part of the Exvadio Podcast Network. You can find Exvadio Podcasts at exvadio.com slash podcast, the Apple Podcasts app, iTunes Store, iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you find podcasts. So join us and stay informed and entertained.